Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. James Green, an orthodontic technician, certainly with a different slant on his working week, wasn't it? Yeah, I never really thought about a technician and cleft lip and palate patient, so it was really interesting to explore that with him. He's certainly published an awful lot of stuff, which I think is really quite admirable. And I think we never expected to be talking about ears as part of this podcast episode so listen out for that sit back and listen to this week's episode with james green with your hosts josh hudson and julia bruin so james before we dive into all the different things that you've been doing since you've been qualified the first question i'd like to ask is when did you first become aware of dental technology as a career and then what was the spark that led you to actually then pursue that and undertake the training to become a dental technician yes so i'd always been interested in um like healthcare from a really young age i think i was always kind of destined to do something in healthcare it's something that i was always interested in as a small child i remember my mum always talking about um her her mum who was who'd been a Red Cross nurse during during the Second World War and was talking very highly of, of her and what she'd done because, you know, she'd walked on, you know, walked to work while all these bombs were coming down and things like this. So, yeah, it was just always something that, you know, we were sort of, as a family, I suppose, just looked up to my neighbour of ours, Barry Townsend. He was... He had been a dental technician and he, you know, remember getting chatting to him about it. And yeah, I just, just found it really, you know, really interesting idea. You know, it wasn't wasn't something that I'd really heard of that that much. You know, it wasn't something that I knew a lot about um at, at that time. But um at school I'd always liked the um sciences but i also enjoyed making things you know the design and technology and art and all this sort of thing so yeah it's sort of you know the more more i learned about it and the more he explained about it the more it it just seemed like it could be a a good thing for me so um so did um, you then do some work experience did you go and to a dental lab or did you just go full fling into it yeah not a work experience as such but it was um yeah i applied for the for the hospital course and i was fortunate enough to um get a get a place at Barts in the london and so this course was um it was kind of run in conjunction with um the other three participating teaching hospitals so you had um Barts in the london the eastman King's College and Guy's Hospital and then they so then half the time you would spend with other students from those other hospitals so each of the hospitals would recruit three to four students and they would um, and then you'd spend half the time in that year group and then for the other time you'd be in your hospital and during the hospital placement, you would um, kind of circulate between the 
the different laboratories in the hospital. So the first year was um, removable uh, prosthetics, so that's like dentures. And so you'd spend the first year in in that laboratory. And then the second year was um, fixed prosthodontics, crown bridge work. So you'd spend the second year um, in that laboratory. And then the third year was orthodontics and um, all surgery. So it might be a bit um, naive. My understanding of dental technology isn't great. So is so there's, it, it was the two different options. So is there a hospital option, which is what you did? And then is there more of a kind of primary care community dental lab based option to get into dental technology? Yeah, there are lots of different different options. So some some will be part part time, sort of working more as like an apprenticeship in a laboratory, and then um, going to college one day a week, and then another time. Then um, there's other courses that are full time, where there'll be like a full time course, and they might, you know, they'll be doing lots of practical work in the um, in the course, but not necessarily actually doing any patient work until later on. So it's the hospital-based option that attracted you more, or yeah, yeah, it was. It was the I don't know. I'd had a I sort of like the idea of working in a hospital. I think I don't know mm. what it was from a young age. You know, I, I remember this um, um, when I was really small. This um, Fabuland hospital. I don't know this toy Fabuland, and it was sort of like a type of Lego that had okay. animal characters instead of um, people, and it was. One of the first toys I remember playing with my mum, and it's I don't know, it's just something about hospitals, I think. Yeah. So I was quite pleased to be able to. So to obviously train you've in a sort of talked a little bit about your training there, but you obviously got a passion for orthodontics. So, I did, yeah. So what made you go down that pathway? Yeah, so that was a little unexpected, I suppose. Really, it was. Um, so once we got to the end of the, the three-year course, they have a fourth year that they called a like a vocational training year where you just had, you could get further experience. This was still based at, at the Royal London and you just got further experience of of doing more more patient cases. And But you had to choose in that fourth year which discipline yes, you were going to go into. Yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, because it was, it was kind of, expected that you'd you'd select one one of the um types and you went into ortho yes yeah orthodontics it just i don't know it just kind of piqued my interest a bit more at that time it was was, um it wasn't really expecting to wasn't really expecting to be interested in that at that point but it was something about all the different types of appliances Mm-hmm. It was just such a vast, vast amount of appliances. You know, just, I mean, I have to say, it's incredible. always interested me when I think about orthodontics, and I think you know this whole thing of a wire having such a big impact yes. on the position of teeth. Yeah. So yes. I'm sure that must be quite exciting to be um, yes. part of that yeah. change for patients. I think that's what it was. It was kind of the relative simplicity of the of the. The components that you made, you know, just taking a relatively simple 
piece of stainless steel wire and then being able to kind of create a, a clasp or a spring and then put all these different components together to make a an appliance it it was a life-changing appliance don't forget yes, I mean, an appliance yes. that's going to completely and utterly change the way that that person looks yes yeah i think that's, i mean that's that was that must give you quite yes, a buzz yeah it was part of it too i think because up until then it was we'd been doing it in the previous two years it was all about um prosthetics and replacing teeth and whereas this was completely different and there seemed to be a lot more stages to to make a denture or a crown or a bridge you know there was whereas this you know once you sort of got better at, at making the mm-hmm. the um the components it seemed you know you could make make an appliance a lot quicker and i kind of quite like the idea that the work comes in and you make make the appliance and it's fitted whereas yeah with dentures you know you've sort of lots of stages and the work's going back and forwards but i like the the fact that it was just a an appliance and oh we never use that word just in this podcast no no because actually i'm slightly serious when i say to you that actually what you are creating are life-changing appliances you're you're making a big difference on how people's appearance is going to be uh their functionality of of their mouths and so i think it's a it's a great thing you're doing yeah i just think it's that the relatively simplicity of it even something like a thermoformed retainer which is you know, quite a s- simple appliance in a way because it's just a a disc of um, like polyethylene, really, then in sort of thermoformed over a cast. But that appliance, um, you know, it's it's quite important, even if yeah. even if it. Well, I think it's our made, orthodontic colleagues sure. around it's, us who listen to this podcast will say, of, you know, it's a very important yes, thing, isn't it? When that whole retention. Of, you know, what the patient's been through, you know, all the work that the orthodontist has done to get the teeth just so. Yes. You know, and then it's all of a sudden the patient's debonded and you're totally reliant on this sort of thin little piece of plastic. And so it's... Yeah, you want them to stay in the position that they've just been moved to, don't you? Yeah, so... Yeah. So what are the actual... You know, it's, it's, it's funny to think of exactly what that's doing really. you say it's quite simple but it's quite technical work as well i guess yeah just thinking like the maybe one of the big differences is the other disciplines are more aesthetics based you yes. want a really nice appearance on your denture i mean obviously it needs to be functional you want a really nice crown i guess we're not necessarily as aesthetically orientated with the orthodontics but it's technical you like you said you need to get that wire in but the right place for it to do what it needs to do minded because they're or, and functionality of course you know because actually that i've never met an orthodontist who isn't um very exacting in the <laughs> oh, position no, of their no. thing yeah, they, so you know yes. you're, you're just taking over the baton of the yes, exactness yeah. well, you do, and you're, you do, you're yeah. i think you're underselling yourself when you say the simplicity of yeah, it like josh says it's you know it's, it's technical yeah, stuff. i don't want to sort of dumb it down because it's you know it takes a while to to learn and it's you know and it's and you never fully learn you know i've been doing this for 25 years and it's even now it's, it's so much still to learn so it's never well, i always think it's a sad day when we never, all stop learning isn't it so, so yeah 
I think, I mean, in terms of the materials, it's it's a relatively simple material, and you can yeah. put what you can create with that is is pretty good. Yeah. So you work now in uh, two different hospitals, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So what does your so what does your job involve on a kind of day-to-day basis what kind of things are you doing what work do you do who do you interact with how does your day-to-day uh job look like what does your working week look like yeah so um mondays thursdays and fridays i'm based at great woman street hospital in london and then tuesdays and wednesdays i'm at Bloomfield hospital in chelmsford and although they're both different hospitals and they're both um, separate um, NHS foundation trusts. They do work together because they both together run the North Thames Regional Cleft Lip and Palate Service. So mm-hmm. there's a link there, mm-hmm. even though they're separate jobs, there's a link and they're both, um, so I'm between the two hospitals and there's lots of other staff who are the same. So um, there's an orthodontist, plastic surgeons, um, the nurses, speech therapists. So quite a big cleft team and there are quite a few members who actually work between between the two. Um, on a sort of weekly basis, um, no two days are the same really. It's... Um, you know, you'll get you'll Keep get excited. Yes, yes, you'll get different. Um, depending on what clinics are running, it will depend on what kind of work you're actually doing. The, um, and what sort of things would these patients typically need for cleft? Um, yeah, so it's, it's lots patients. of what they what they're going to need. Yeah, lots of orthodontic appliances, which are similar to um, similar to the appliances that we make for patients without clefts but um, then there's differences as well so we make lots of expansion plates um, fixed um, expansion appliances like quad helixes and um, removable like fan type appliances Mm -hmm. which sort of give more expansion anteriorly than posteriorly so we do do a lot of those the retainers and presumably these patients are receiving your care and your appliances from a very early age i mean traditionally we always think that orthodontics is done at a certain stage of life in other words when all of the permanent dentition is present and all that sort of thing but i'm sensing patients with cleft lip and palates maybe people that you get involved with at a much earlier age am i correct in that yes yeah it does yeah, it does. It, you know, we do make things from earlier, earlier age. I think. So, what um, sort of typically, what sort of age would they be um, coming to these clinics? Um, pretty much from birth. Um, you know, they'll have their their lip repair at sort of between three and six months, and then they'll have their their palate repair between six and twelve months. Um, there was a time when we had more involvement with um, these patients as babies. You know, we'd make these neonatal cleft plates, but yes, the sort of feeding yes, plates. Yeah, yeah, but we don't we don't tend to to do those now because it was 
it was I think it was thought that it was just too much of a burden of care for for what it did really but so, so this North Thames region sort of network that you're involved with is yes. obviously, you know, a, a, a highly um, specialised group of people who are doing things. It must be immensely satisfying doing this type of work. Yes, I've been, I've been really fortunate with the, with the jobs that I've got. Really, it's it's just, you know, it's been in the right place at the right time. Really, yes, I've been very fortunate. But it's, yes, I'm. You know, well, I think it's a bit more than that because I think by the sounds of things, which we'll get to hear during the course of this interview, I'm sure you have um, deserve every bit of success in your career. Yeah, it's always those sliding door moments that, yes. that get you there. So what I'm quite interested in is, uh, like you mentioned previously, there's obviously a lot of different members of this large team that are, that are managing these patients. But how how does technology fit into that are you the sole technician in these hospitals do you work with other other technicians is there a team how does it work from that perspective because i know you're part of a wider team but you're from a technician aspect do you end up working a lot on your own do you have other colleagues how does that work yeah so i work um, on my own at, at broomfield hospital but at great ormond street there's there's two other technicians so but we're all all part-time in great ormond street and so we're part of a as, as most of the department is, the, the dental department at Great Ormond Street is, um, it's that's kind of the big difference between the two, really. At Great Ormond Street, it's um, um, the laboratory is situated within a in the, within a department, so you've got clinic rooms, you've got um, the dentists or different specialists, you've got um, orthodontists. Pediatric dentists, um, restorative dentist. Sounds like a big department. So yeah, lots of people around. Even though maybe you might be working more on your own, there's plenty of people around. So it's a wider, wider team in terms of department. Because I guess the the reason I'm asking that is because if you think, in my head at least, if you work in a commercial lab where it's a bigger lab, there's lots of people around. There's lots of things going on. There's people you can ask if you're unsure about something. But from speaking to various technicians in hospital, quite often there's not a huge amount of technicians there. So I just wondered whether you felt that that was a, a, a negative side of being in hospital, not having that network around you, not having that person to ask necessarily, what do you think about this? Or do you find find that that's not, not necessarily yeah, concerned because of the wider team? It was quite a big change from um, the Royal London and the Eastman because... Um, after I completed my training at the Royal London, um, I'd been I'd worked at the Eastman for for a couple of years, and both of those hospitals were quite similar in a way. The the um, the different kind of specialist departments, and you were kind of in a in a laboratory, and you spent most of the time with other technicians. Whereas Great Ormond Street is a lot more. Um, Collaborative, I suppose, in a way, because you're you're working a lot. I was working a lot closer with um, dentists and mm-hmm. the nurses, and you know, you just get to know other team members a lot more than I had done at the other two hospitals where I'd been before. It's in a way, it's a little bit like a, a dental practice, I suppose, mm-hmm. in a, but in a in a hospital. 
You've published multiple papers. You've presented at multiple conferences. What what sort of got you involved with these projects and how are you going to encourage other people to perhaps go down those avenues? Yeah, so it all started really with um, the Orthodontic Technicians Association. So um, they asked me to give a talk um, about uh, clefts. This was quite a few years ago now. Um, and then they, I think things just snowball from there really I think you know I'll kind of give a talk about something and then and then someone will kind of be at the conference and then they'll ask me to sort of give a talk somewhere else and then then you meet someone else and they'll suggest you write an article for something or other and it, it just all mm. kind of I mean all I, th- I think that when, when we interview people you know obviously a number of people do these sorts of things yeah and I think what I'm really trying to say to you is how do you think you could inspire other people to do it? Because it's quite a daunting thing to do. Oh, yes. um, and I think once you've done it once, you, like you say, you do feel more comfortable about yes. doing it again. So yes. tell us how, how you could inspire other people to, to do it. Yeah, well, I'd always just say, you know, just just say yes if you're asked. You know, it's it kind of, you know, probably does... Um, feel a bit strange in the beginning to, to be doing these things, but it, I just find it opens up so many new new avenues and it just makes makes life more interesting, really. It's just to be doing all these different things, you know, you just meet meet people that you might otherwise not meet. And it's also helped me to to learn more too because if I'm, if I'm going to be giving a talk about something or writing an article about something, you know, I'm going to sort of research it as well as I can, yes, and sort of so I know as much as I can about something. So it's you know, it's so it's a win-win situation. Really, yeah, isn't definitely. It? Yeah, yeah. But Sounds like you're a great ambassador to the profession. I think that's you know, lots of people um, don't shine their light bright, but I think we can probably shine your light for you on this podcast because I think you have done some very interesting things. You are groundbreaking with some of the things that you're involved with. You're making a colossal difference to patients and doing some very interesting projects. Are you doing anything interesting at the moment that you'd want to share with us at the time? Yeah, thank you. So um, although I had this special interest in orthodontics and a lot of my work was predominantly orthodontics, at Great Ormond Street um, you tend to um, do other, other things too. So I do... Um, dentures and I also do um, ear splints for patients who've had a ear reconstruction so um, that was probably more, more, one of the more novel things that I've done in the last in the last few years um, a couple of the plastic surgeons came to me to ask if there was anything that could could be done to stabilize Years um, that have been reconstructed. So, um, and presumably all of these are in children. If we're talking about yes, Great Ormond Street, yes, so. it's all it's all children. It, it wasn't something that I knew very much about, but um, the and so a plastic surgeon just came into your 
yeah, lab one yeah. day and said, "Hi, James. Any chance you could help us with an ear? Is that how it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was. You know, we work with plastic surgeons anyway because um, through the CAF team, and you know, it's the plastic surgeons that that do like the vaccinator flap procedures and things. But um, this plastic surgeon was a specialist in yeah. ear reconstruction, and yeah, so basically what they do, they, they harvest um, rib cartilage and and build an ear and kind of kind of shape it into an ear and you know, it's all very clever. And 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 you meanwhile are making something that is a, a temporary thing till this harvesting has been yes, completed. Yeah, so it's the ear reconstruction is a two two stage process. Um, the first first operation, they'll harvest this um, rib, rib cartilage and build the um, ear framework. Um, then they've got to put it under a pocket in the in the skin, and then let that all heal up. In, in so, the, if you'd said to yourself, right. "You're going to be making dentures slash ears all of those years ago." you would have laughed at that person who said that presumably yeah at that point yeah i didn't yeah i really didn't see that see that coming no because it's um it's very different and so what does the splint do at what stage does yeah so once that's, you come in? so once they put that um kind of ear framework under the under the skin they'll let that heal for some months and then the second stage is to kind of elevate the ear away from the head and put in a put some cartilage behind that to kind of get the projection right and yeah so then basically they kind of needed some kind of device to kind of hold it in the correct place oh okay so initially they were using um like a kind of putty type material similar to impression dental impression material to hold it in place um sounds but, absolutely fascinating yeah yeah so it is a bit and the chance bit, conversation bit like all of these things yes, are probably yeah. you know that you you probably didn't think you'd ever get involved in something yeah, like that no, somebody, absolutely um, not. no and so yeah so then i started to think about what kind of materials would work for this because it's it's basically like a, a bit like a retainer but for an ear yeah. so it's kind of just because you, you just want something to stabilize it so but orthodontic retainer material would have been a bit too rigid so um i thought about using like mouth guard material Ethyl. i'm sorry this is a podcast and we haven't got pictures of um, the, <laughs> yes. ears, the ears that you've done that sounds yeah. really uh, so um sounds interesting we made the um used ethyl vinyl acetate eva which is usually used for um custom made mouth guards and boxes and splints and things like that and yeah that yeah seemed to seem really work well you know it's again it's quite a relatively simple thing because you've just you've got a model of an ear you thermoform the sheet over that and cut it back to where you want where you want it to be, the size, you know, you want a bit more material around the back of the ear 
because the main thing is about supporting the projection where you want it. But then, as well as that, you just want all the the other dimensions just held in place. And unfortunately, it's worked. It's worked really well. You know, it's one of these things that that just sort of you know come up from nothing. Really, it's just it's not something that I would have thought about doing. Even yeah. at the time, I didn't think. It would be something another life changing appliance for somebody because actually, you know, this is going to make a big difference to people, isn't it? Yeah, simple for yeah. you, but I'm sure extremely yeah, valued by the surgeons and the patients. Yeah, it really, it really took off. You know, it's not. I didn't really know how many of these procedures um, took place, even, but it's, um, you know, it can be used for where the patient has sort of lost their ear due to trauma or. Or disease, but most commonly it's um, where the patient has microtia, where it's a, a sort of underdeveloped, underdeveloped ear. So, and now you're yeah. become an expert in ear splints out of nowhere. Yeah, we wrote we wrote up an article about that and published it in a classic surgery journal. And yeah, now we've we've done over two hundred patients with. Wow. Where I've made splints that's for a, them. That's a colossal thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. Really, it took off more than I imagined. Because at the time, I just thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll do one here and there. You know, I didn't, I didn't know how many, how many patients required a ear reconstruction. And so, that's the importance of yeah, uh, speaking with our colleagues and sharing yes, things. Because yes. there's probably loads of surgeons that have been doing that that procedure and thinking, oh, I wish I had something that was better at holding this in place and then it was just took one conversation with somebody with a little bit of uh, different experience and expertise and it sounds like you've and you know I'm, I'm sitting here thinking one of my patients is an ear nose and throat surgeon and I'm <laughs> going to go back and say to him make sure you listen to this episode because um you know James has made 200 ears for people so um you know you never know no, what, what, no, what happens no, do you, you know. want, we want to make a difference to all of those patients so bringing things back to dental technology from ears. Um, we all know there's a, a shortage of dental technicians and we're trying to get as many people as possible into dental technology. Is there anything that you've been involved in or anything that you see that's going to help turn that tide of people leaving to trying to get more people in or just what are your thoughts on, on, on that issue? Yeah, so we have a couple of initiatives in, in the Orthodontic Technicians Association. So, um, as I said, I've been uh, involved in with the OTA for for many years now, and we have a what we call a student sponsorship scheme where we um, we raise funds to enable students to come to the OTA conference and kind of experience that and sort of learn more about orthodontics that way. I think that's something else as well that um, drew me to orthodontics in the first place because, um, you know, the OTA funded a conference place for me when I was a student. So that's something else that has drawn me to orthodontics and wanted me to... It's nice to give something back. Give something it? back. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so we do that. We... Sort of try and get as many students as possible to to come to that, and then there's uh, the British Orthodontic 
Society um, Student Technician Award. Um, that's a uh, um, British Orthodontic Society Award, but it's uh, the British Orthodontic Society is affiliated with the OTA, and it's the OTA that kind of run this award on behalf of the British Orthodontic Society. So, which is a huge, obviously, organisation. Yes, um, yes. That's there for orthodontics in this country. Yeah. So, so we do, we do that too, and that's. I think that's kind of proved quite successful in um, just sort of getting more more interest in in orthodontics for for dental technicians because I sometimes think that um, people think dental technology and they think more about prosthetics and kind of bridge mm. perhaps and not necessarily orthodontics. So if you're if you're sitting here listening to this podcast thinking oh, dental technology might be interested in doing it, what what do you think are the three most important attributes that they should bring to the workplace as, as a dental technician? I think you need a a willingness to learn new things. I think you need to Well, I think you've You've done that on a seismic level with your ears, haven't you? Well, considering we're talking about teeth uh, and we moved on to ears, yeah, I think you need to. Yeah, so willingness to to change, to be open to Mm -hmm. new, new ideas. Dental technology is always evolving, always changing. You know, more more so now with all the new digital technology that's coming in. So it's so you need to kind of be open to to new new things. Um, I think you need to to have patience and sort of you need to sort of persevere quite quite a bit because it's it's not easy in the beginning you know when you're sort of learning all these new things and you know it's you don't always pick up things straight away I mm. certainly didn't it was mm. with um, how to actually create some of these well I suppose it's these components. In, in many ways it's it's like Lots of elements of dentistry, yes, isn't it? If we yes. were talking to, about dental nursing, we might be talking about um, mixing a particular type of cement. We might be talking in dentistry about doing crown preps and those sorts of things. So, yes, I think a, a bit of patience with your clinical skills developing. So, yeah. Anything else? I suppose communication. I think communication is really important. It's... Um, like I said, a lot of the time you're sort of working alone in a lab, but that doesn't mean that that you don't have to communicate. So it's a lot. Of, yeah, no, you're you're right. Sort of, I mean, you know, there's a lot of communication is necessary, especially when you're making something that's maybe less less um, typical. You know, it's not not always a typical. Yes, appliance that you're making, so you need to be able to communicate well with with the the dentists and the the dental nurses and other dental technicians and 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 the wider team really about about what the what the appliance is, and you need to you need to be able to, to yeah make sure we're doing the right things. Yes, and yeah. tap into everybody's skills. Everybody's got different. Well, that's what we've just been talking about. Everybody's got different skills that they can add to the mix and. It's being able to communicate to those different with those different people to be able to tap into those skills. Because yes. without that communication, you don't know what that person knows or what maybe you don't know. 
So I think that's that's really useful advice, actually. So now for the random question of this yes. podcast, we always ask a little random question. And if you could have a billboard poster in the middle of Piccadilly Circus and it had a dental message on it, can you think of any dental message you'd like to put on that billboard poster? I think it would be just something to promote dental technology, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know what I would, how I'd word it as such, but I think it would be nice to, to just promote dental technology and, and sort of let people know more about it. Because I think people don't always know. Yeah, well, they don't know what they don't know, do they? So what a dental dental technician (laughs) does and, you know, it's, I've been very lucky to sort of find out about it, I think, and and have the career that I've had. But, but it was, it was just chance that I found out that it existed really as a, as a career. And Mm -hmm. I think it's. Are are these professional societies getting involved in anything like that then? I mean, we're saying about a billboard poster in, Piccadilly Circus, but perhaps, perhaps we need to sort of yes. strip it back and perhaps get the professional societies on board with these sorts of things. Because yes, yeah, I think that, that may help. More could be done to to raise awareness of it as a profession. I think. Yeah. Schools going to careers, yes, um, yeah, launches of, at schools and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's probably what needs to be done just to. Raise awareness of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We'll organise it, Julia. We'll get a big picture of James. I'm a dental technician <laughs> and I do this. And we'll have a little introduction about what a dental technician does. And then there'll be a massive influx and we'll be sorted. You might, you <laughs> might get some contact from people asking you about ears after this podcast. So um, hold on to your hat. Well, All it's right. been an absolute pleasure speaking to yes. you. Thanks Thank for you very, very us. much, James. No, thank you so much for inviting me. If you've been inspired by that episode, did you know that the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre provide training for the whole dental team? Follow us on social media or search for the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre to find out more. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.